All right. We uh All right. Talking about Aaron. Just need a, some video <laughs> here. Troy Haynes, what's up, man? Mm. I'm good, sir. How are you? Excellent. Life's good. <laughs> Life is good. <laughs> um I I've, I've been telling everybody about um uh, your background, your your education at Michigan State, um, and told them how you were my first podcast. So we've kind of come full circle. It's been a couple of years, I think. And um, I didn't get to the part about, I, I talked about your education um, and then, you know, high school athletics. I remember uh, football and track you told me about, and then went off to Michigan State, you got your degree. And then um, you left Michigan State and started becoming a strength and conditioning coach at the high school level. Is that right? For a while? Correct. And kind of got the itch to start doing something with your athleticism again, and uh, then became a, an arena football player, right? Is that, that's pretty much how that went. And uh, you were continuing to give that a shot <clears throat> all the way up until last year. Is that correct? Correct. And uh, so then after that, ended did you play the whole season again another season um yeah so I got brought in by the Albany Empire um last year probably like a third of the way into the season got brought in um ended up playing finishing out the season we won a championship got a ring and decided I was gonna hang up the cleats all right yeah before the before the pounding got too much <clears throat> at the the tender young age of 20 29 how old are you now I'm third. 30 just turned 30 all right and then yep. so the other thing that i was thinking about was all the posts that i saw of you gallivanting all over this world with your your sweetheart um your girlfriend and fiance at the time have you guys made any plans yet what's going on with that you guys get married uh we're no longer together what <laughs> <laughs> yeah so that's probably been i don't know before my season last year so we've been separated for for mm -hmm. quite a while but just like everything that happens, it's for the best, right? Mm -hmm. Well, so, uh, sometimes it's definitely better to find out before. I would, I would definitely preach caution oh. to you, young men out there before <laughs> before you get married. One hundred percent, one hundred percent. Sure. So yeah, maybe uh, traveling around, you uh, can find those things out. So, so mm -hmm. now that you are retired, um, the other things I remember, you know, for a Michigan State guy, you were in Colorado for a while, right? Was it Colorado? I was, and was you were Colorado. Yeah, go ahead. I was just say I was in Colorado Springs. Um, I am now after the season. So I was in Albany, New York playing. Now I'm back in Michigan where I grew up. So I'm on the west side of Michigan. Mm. Okay. And that's, is that East Coast or Central time in Michigan? Uh, that is Eastern. Yep. Eastern, Eastern time. time. Okay. Yep. So good, good part of the country way back. I know the, the Great Lakes and all that. Um, and it, is it freezing cold? where you are now you know we had a couple warm days but it's it's pretty cold today the sun's out but i'd say it's probably 27 degrees 28 oh. degrees yeah, I'm, a, <laughs> I'm a whiner i'm we're here in california and we're going through a cold spell for us and in southern california i'm used to periods even in you know january and february where it's 70 degrees outside and you know we've had a lot of rain and uh temperatures have dipped into the low 40s um there's one day next week that's forecast to be in the thirties. So I'm, I'm, uh, I'm complaining loudly, but nobody <laughs> listens because <laughs> they just, they go, you think that's cold. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't feel bad for you, Troy. <laughs> no, no, I'm sure you don't. <laughs> the other thing that that has always done, of course, is, um, 
caused people like yourself to have to do all their training indoors, which is why, <clears throat> you know, I, when I see stuff indoors on my feed, I'm always so intrigued because I'm like, God, what, you know, they're, it looks like they're, they're holding these meets inside basketball gyms. I've seen guys doing high jump and in sneakers and you know that, and I'm, I've been intrigued because I want to do it, you know, out here, uh, find a really nice place. But, uh, you know, we just don't have any need to go indoors in California. I'm, I'm coaching at Vanguard and, you know, at the NAIA level. And um, we had uh, we have indoor nationals coming up and uh, the qualifying meets that we do to get marks for indoor nationals are all outdoor meets. <laughs> so the kids go outdoors. Right. And they get marks and then they they get cleared to go indoors. Um, and I, I know um, for the, the high jumpers, I just think it's, I'm hoping it's different. My, my experience indoors out here was terrible. Uh, uh, two different meets in my career. One is a senior in high school and one is a uh, postgraduate. And uh, one was the Sunkissed Invitational and the other one was the LA Times indoors. And they were just horrible experiences. I don't know why I trained so hard to get to the the second one, especially the LA Times indoors. I had to jump seven, two and a half outdoors and I got indoors and, you know, you got your spikes on wood indoors. There was no tartan mm. and it was, everything's really, really tight. Like you can't get the sense of it when you're watching it on TV, but there's just no space anywhere. You know, it's, it's a much smaller track. Obviously they only run the 300 and then they've got the 60 meter hurdles and, you know, they go run down a hallway and they go crash. They've got a, you know, mattress up against the wall because you got to stop yourself from slamming into it and it's just there's <laughs> no room and I, I just hated it you know so I was like but I watched these other ones you know and I go wow that looks pretty spacious you know it's this grand indoor arena with you know so yeah anyway um well now now that your football career is over and you're not getting married and you've moved back to <laughs> Michigan what is yes. up with Aaron Washa what is the latest yeah, so I actually have, uh, I still have my my online personal training business. Mm -hmm. You know, that's always going strong. Um, I'm also in car sales now. Okay. So I'm selling cars. But I recently, it's funny, we're having this conversation. I just got promoted to a finance manager. So i okay. um, going to be doing the paperwork, you know, be in the back office uh, on the backside of, you know, when car car salespeople when they when right. they sell a car it's coming back to me so right do that i uh hit the gym every morning just like usual and stay on top of my online personal training business right. so okay just conti continuing to level up man in all areas of life now is that a you do that in person do you do it online you do a combination of things what how does give us some details on that you can pimp for yourself here what's what is if someone's going to get in touch with Aaron Washer for training what are what are their options yeah, so I don't I'm pretty much away from the the in-person. Everything's online. So mm -hmm. um gonna set you up, set you up with your program. Uh as we go, we can always make changes. It's kind of nothing set in stone, right? Things right. need to change, they need to be altered, check in with you weekly, daily, whatever it takes. Mm -hmm. And I'm always available pretty much. I mean, besides when I sleep, if I'm awake, I'm available for questions, hop on a quick call. Right. Um, and it's so that's that's how the coaching aspect of it works. Um, now, what kind of athletes are you getting with this? Is it the high high explosive training for athletes? I'm I'm imagining football and basketball and soccer, all kinds come to you. 
Yeah, I get a few of those. Um, to be honest, it's more so your person who's just your average person trying to get in shape. Um, I do have athletes, but it's not as many as I used to when I was in person. That's the thing about online training is it's it's hard to really get nitty gritty with the athletes because there's so many so many more factors that you want to have control of, right? As a coach, I want to be able to critique your form here. I want to be able to see you doing it, um, give you those in-person cues. Uh, so when you're really trying to reach that high level explosiveness, um, it's it's tough to do with a with a beginner to moderate level athlete because they don't always they don't always know how to cue themselves. Right. So when I do work with someone, it's usually somebody who's already very experienced and they can, they're good at being able to give me feedback after the workout to where right. I can stay informed on what's going on. Um, other than that, the majority of my clients right now are just your, your average person trying to get in shape, lose mm -hmm. weight. Maybe they're trying to get shredded, right. uh, whatever, whatever the case is, whatever your goals are, I work with you. So, yeah, yeah, that's awesome. Um, it's interesting you're you're talking about the difficulties of virtual training. Um, I've had the opportunity this last year to train. I've got two different athletes. I, I started it a couple of years ago during the pandemic. <clears throat> had a young kid named Spencer Harris, and uh, he um, real rangy kid. You know, six five was jumping six five six six in high school and was a twenty two foot long jumper. You know, and um, they were in the lockdown, and I was in the lockdown, so <laughs> we were doing you know, his parents were, were, uh, FaceTiming, you know, and I was watching through those, that lens. So just coaching, even by remote, like it, it's like, you're there, but yet I'm like, okay, you, whoever's holding this camera, you got to move a step to your right, <laughs> you know, know your other, right. And then it's like, <laughs> okay, now Spencer, I want you to do this. And, you know, it's, there's some challenges with it. Um, that now I'm working with a kid from, um, uh, Louisiana, and, uh, you know, dad is, is dutifully filming and doing all those things. So that's, there's, there's a little time lag between, you know, what you're thinking, how to get it communicated, you know, cause I'm communicating with a parent who's in got to communicate with kid. And, uh, I've got another young lady from India, which is just phenomenal. Wow. She's yeah. She's 13 and a half hours ahead. So it's, we're, we're almost a half a world apart. So it's like, we've got to be, it's either I'm at the end of the day, she's waking up or she's at the end of her day and I'm waking up and I'm, I haven't been very good at those. So we've kind of moved to the other ones, but it's, that one's been interesting because the FaceTime uh, itself is kind of, especially from halfway around the world was pretty crappy. But then I, I said, Hey, let's try okay. the Instagram. So we tried the Instagram FaceTime. And it was clear as a bell. I was like, I was so impressed. So, um, and when I did that, I can just do the screen recordings of each jump and screen recordings, by the way, for those of you out there, you beginning coaches, uh, screen recordings are my new favorite thing in the whole world because I can take uh, YouTube videos. I can take anything, an Instagram video. If it's playing on my screen, on my iPad, just pull the corner down and hit screen recording. And it's clear as a bell, you know, typical iPad, you know, coverage and uh, frame by frame after that is perfect. I used to take video of video, you know, watching YouTube and using my <laughs> oh, camera man. and that gets all grainy and, you know, you're back like you're using original video, you know, so. That's the stone anyway. age. That's the stone yeah, age exactly. back there, Troy. Exactly. It came so, a long way. <laughs> oh man. Well, as I'm a dinosaur, right? So you're a young man, you're smart. I had 
I have Barbara to help me. She's like, hey, what are you doing? <laughs> like, I don't know. I'm just trying to get video. And she's like, well, you got to <laughs> just use the screen recording thing. I'm like, what? <laughs> and then, yeah, like brain comes off. So, all right. Well, um, I wanted to get back to you about a, a couple things. There's a, another young trainer like yourself that I've been following. Um, his name is Dario. Uh, Saisen training. I don't know if you've seen him. Um, if you haven't, I would, I would definitely put him on your, your follow, uh, reel. He's, uh, he's based in Vienna and he does a lot of training. Um, he's kind of like one of a knees over toes guy. I don't know if you, I'm sure you've seen his stuff. Yeah, for um, sure. This guy did the, has had the same kind of a, a background. Dario had a, an ACL tear and, um, he was rehabbing it. He's only 19. I think he might be up to 20 or 21 by now, but he had this injury when he was college age for us over here, you know, he's in Vienna. And um, so he started doing rehab and his, you know, the guy that was doing his rehab was just kind of, you know, not really doing, I guess, a bang up job. Cause Dario was like, I, I just didn't feel that, that great. And he started researching and got himself underneath a guy who he said is just, everything the guy knows everything about everything and did his rehab and and then he's you know followed those principles in his training i'm watching him do a lot of single leg work single leg plyos that are you know explosive forward backward lateral you know all kinds of stuff every time i see one of his posts i'm just like oh you know like him and um who's the other guy that i follow um adonis adonis harris i don't know if you've hmm. seen him but I follow uh, him yeah, a lot of stuff, you know. I mean, they're they're not gatekeepers, right? <laughs> they're they're always showing stuff and I'm when I see it, I don't always necessarily do the research. I just can see what they're doing and go, "Oh man, that's a great drill." You know, I need to I need to incorporate, you know, some of that. So, um questions just keep coming up in my head like if you, you know, how how have things progressed in the the couple of years since you and I started down this road? I was I was refreshing everybody's mind about the um, triphasic training that you started me mm -hmm. on that road. And um, I have since become more aware. I, I remember when I was being trained by um, Alan Hankel. Uh, he was uh, the coach of Doug Nordquist when Doug Nordquist jumped seven, eight and three quarters, uh, 236. And uh, he jumped on a, an, a cadaver reconstructed left knee because he had blown it out playing basketball. And they literally took the cadaver, you know, ACL and did one of the, and this is 1991, somewhere in there, 92 or three, I can't remember. Um, but they did the old staple and rough it up job that they used to do, right? And uh, he jumped on a, a cadaver knee and jumped 236. So that wasn't his good knee. That was the reconstructed knee that he did that on. So um Wow. Alan was the one who taught me some things about joint stability. He was the first trainer that had me doing um, what this is what I understand now. So I kind of want to ask this through you because you you have the the younger knowledge. Um, the joint stability that I was taught was like small ranges of motion. Uh, for instance, at the knee joint, you know, we would do uh, leg extensions like the last five degrees and heavyweight, you know, hold, slow down, fully extend, hold, you know, so almost like isometrics, right? Like super, super tiny ranges of motion mm -hmm. and then flip it over, do, um, you know, uh, leg curls 
same thing. The last five degrees, you pull with your hamstrings, only five degrees of curl, and then slowly drop down, resisting, and then come back up, you know, and just keep going till you're tired kind of thing. Um, what do you, what do you think, uh, you know, not really what do you think about that, but how does, how does the isometrics that you and I were talking about and joint stability work its way into, you know, what you're doing now? And I, I guess which, what kind of part should it be in, you know, athletes programs, joint stability, knee, ankle, hip, you know, wherever. Yeah. Isometrics are a huge part, as we talked about last time. That's really the transition phase of any movement. So when you're going to do a jump, if you're not strong on that isometric, that transition phase, then you're going to leak a lot of energy out of the system. So I think it, sh it should be built in every week. It could be right. in your warm-up, um, really just holding a split squat, holding a lunge at different uh, points within that range of motion. You can get more specific to, you know, we always go back to you're kind of hitting that when you go to do a two legged jump or a single leg jump, you're really not going. You're, you're almost not even getting to a quarter squat sometimes. Right. Would you yeah. agree with that? I mean, yeah, you're ideally you want to get off and on and off the ground quickly. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So you can almost train the isometric at that exact sticking point, whatever it is for you. Some people's may be a little bit lower, but you look at the high flying athletes and it's quick and they don't really, they're not going down into a full squat. So right. if you're going to train that isometric phase, train it specifically to, to how you jump. Um, so you had a lot in your, in your question there, but yeah, I, was, no, there I was were going to go back to, <laughs> um, how I progressed is I'm really starting to, to focus on how to optimize the elasticity, the joint angles, um, the central nervous system versus trying to load myself under a lot of weight. I think, I think a lot of times we're doing it backwards and we're getting these high school kids, we're putting them under a bunch of weight on the squat rack and the form's not there. The stability is not there. The actual structure is not there. So yes, you can get strong by putting yourself under a bunch of weight, but at some point, when when people get hurt, what do they do? They have to rebuild themselves back up and they come back stronger. Yeah. That's, I mean, a lot of, a lot of athletes are getting hurt because the system is not optimized to start with before they're throwing themselves underweight. So as I've progressed and, you know, got my well over 10,000 hours of just being obsessed with how to optimize the system, it's, it's came down to how can I, how can I use the body's natural elasticity to be more efficient, to not have to work as hard when performing a jump, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. So those are the things that I've been really focusing on. And so many, so many things I've learned throughout my career are from injuries, uh, where if I could have just optimized in the first place and had somebody that set the structure of my body up before I started training, that would have probably you know, made the road easier. Although I don't wish right. the road to be easier because those injuries taught me a ton, right? Every injury I come back stronger. It's because I had to rebuild the system up the right way. Yeah. Cause the injury is almost a blessing because it's pointing out exactly where your weaknesses are. Right. And what do you do when you go to physical therapy, you work on those weaknesses. A lot of times athletes come back stronger. Right. So that's really where I'm at. I don't put myself under a bunch of weight anymore. Um, there's just, <laughs> 
there's a there's a lot to it and that only part of that it's it's hard for me to even translate that over to other people because part of that is just getting a feel for the internal workings of your body right how to manipulate yourself into into creating that internal torque inside of your body wow okay so uh, what, I, <laughs> what i'm thinking of is like uh, when i'm going through my my training with you know these athletes and you know traditionally um you know my brain has started putting things into categories so i want them to do some power and power has been what you're describing you know some squats lunges deadlifts you know these power lifts um and i know some people don't they, there's difference between what some people are calling power and strength like you know a lot of people don't put squats in there as an olympic lift or a power lift because it's just strengthening and i'm like well for my purposes, I'm just going to call it power, but, you know, squats, deadlifts, lunges, step ups, cleans, snatch, you know, push press. Those are some of the basics that, that I'll use. And I've, I've been working them two legs on the ones that require two legs, step ups and lunges are, you could argue, you know, both ways, right? You're kind of using two legs in certain phases, but they're not doing the same thing at the same time, like you would in a squat or a deadlift, but I've trained two leg versions of, of most of the major ones, squats and, and deadlifts and things like that. And tried to switch to one leg. That's one thing I've been noticing with Dario. <laughs> and I remember telling my kids going, well, anytime you do something with two legs, almost always it's, it's easier or harder with one. You know, the only thing that's harder to do with two legs than one is if I'm doing leg raises over my head and when I'm doing ab work. So Right. <laughs> that's two legs is harder, to, <laughs> you know, for pushing with your legs and two legs is easier, you know, and I've, I've done this, for instance, with backovers when I'm, we're not lifting, but I'm having kids do two footed, you know, backwards jumps over the bar, which are great. They're great for layout. They're good for arm drive. They're good for all kinds of things, uh, timing over the bar and everything. But at the same time, I'm like, I like them. And then I go, but nobody jumps off two legs in the high jump. So I've come up with my own single leg version where they have to drive their knee up first and then do everything else because it, it's more specific, right? So in the training, you know, that we're talking about there, the, the power, what I'm getting at is like, if you're, if you're not doing as much weight, are you doing lighter weights and then working in more of the isometrics like you're talking about to, to hold different positions? And then how do you bring that out? You know, how does that explosiveness come out? Because it, again, we had this talk a year, two years ago, and I, I remember you telling me you got more explosive when you were doing the heavy isometrics and my brain just locks up because I'm like, well, don't you have to be moving to get that explosive power? So explain to us how that, that works for you, Aaron, when you're, if you're trying to train either yourself to do that 72 inch box jump, that still, I see it in my head every time I close my eyes or you know, uh, get, get another kid to jump, do a 75 foot or 75 inch box jump. How would you train them to do that? Yeah. I, and just to, to preface this, I don't have a problem with lifting, having people lift heavy weight. Mm -hmm. I just think the foundation needs to be set, right? Don't, don't build a house on a, right. a crappy foundation or you're, you're just going to have to go back and redo it at some point. Right. Right. So just, just to be clear, if you're, if structurally and you know, you're sound, I don't mind throwing some heavy weight on there. I just feel like a lot of people who are lifting heavy weight, 
it's not there. Uh, right, they, right. they might be moving the, they might be moving the weight, but the internal workings are not optimized how they should be. Mm-hmm. So yeah, back to w- when you're not using as much weight, you're lifting the weight with more intention. So you're really focusing on the, that brain body connection, activating every single muscle fiber, really, really, it comes down to activation when using less weight, putting more intention on the tempos, whether mm-hmm. it be the eccentric, the isometric, or even the concentric, there's a, there's levels to it, right? How fast are you putting your F, how much effort are you putting into to coming out of the bottom of a squat as explosively as possible? Right. And that's where, that's where these workouts, they start to require more mental focus than they do necessarily, you know, mus- muscular endurance. How much intention can you put on every single rep? Right. With that regards, I can have my athletes or have myself do less reps, but I'm doing more intention and getting more out of it than somebody who's doing, you know, several half-assed reps, <laughs> right, <laughs> you know? Right. Yeah. But what, uh, and that's interesting too, because there's, there's warm up, right. <clears throat> and warm up where mm-hmm. we're just going easy. Like I've watched so much stuff, which I like, but I've seen, um, you know, people doing obviously what I would call base training plyometrics, say in the sand, two footed jumps in the sand. Right. Um, and low intensity, like maybe four inches off the ground. Right. Cause sand doesn't give you a lot back anyway, but you're, you know, just quick pushes, you're warming up the ankles, knees, shins, you're getting that tendon kind of movement. I'm picturing like the knees over toes guy when he's doing his sled work to me, that kind of looks, you know, about the same, you know, maybe a, a little bit more plyometric than the other one, but same kind of warm up, you know, effect. And then, so, but once we get down to it, like you're talking about, I'm, I'm always telling my athletes, like, look, when you come up here to do a, a jump, say it's a two footed box jump like yours, you know, and you take a step forward, drop down like a volleyball player, get both arms behind you, like way behind you. So you can really use them for lift and explode up into the air. I go, look, number one, if the box is low, okay, which is fine, jump up and get full extension and like levitate, I call it levitate the landing, like full exposure, yeah. legs straight, right? And you float up there like you got one of those rocket packs on your back, you know, in the Super Bowl. And you just float up and land like a bird on the next level. You know, I'm like, now that's on a low box. Now, obviously a high box, you can't do that. But I'm like, you got to get off the ground fast. I'm like, I want you to get loaded. And the speed of loading is, <clears throat> excuse me, the speed of loading here is crucial, right? So if you... And I think you taught me this. If you pull yourself down, it's one thing to just drop with gravity, right? So if I drop with gravity, I am uh, eccentrically loading my quads to do a concentric jump up, right? And if mm-hmm. I just let gravity do that work, that stores some muscle, um, some muscle energy. And if I if I turn it loose quickly, that's all good. But if I pull myself down with gravity, we're using my hamstrings, right? And now I've explosively mm-hmm. loaded my quads even more. But again, if I drop really fast, but I hesitate or I don't get off the ground that quick, I'm, I lose that advantage. So I'm always telling them it's like, it's like your muscles have this storage capacity that's amazing. And the faster you stretch them, the more elasticity and explosion is in there. But you got to turn it loose immediately, right? Otherwise, mm-hmm. there's like a dissipation like you're talking about. Like it, it starts to go away. So It leaks. At least, yeah, at least, just, yeah, that's now, how, how does that work? Aaron? I mean, I've always been taught that, but I don't, where is the, 
the problem because I always tell the kids example like look you don't see a quarterback cock his arm back and then just sit there <laughs> with his arm cocked back ready to throw it's yeah. always stretch release stretch release you see it in pitching you see it in kicking a field goal you see it everything in sports you know you cock the arm back you swing it through you cock the leg back you kick it through whatever so there's always a prep phase and then it's a go you know and if you wait too long it's now you're just like a statue you're just posing you know getting ready to throw but you've lost your advantage so how does all that work just for the those people out there that that don't have the the same uh background that we have yeah it's uh it's a reflex right that muscle stretch it's it's not even something that's necessarily under conscious control it's a reflex when you cock Mm -hmm. it back those muscles get stretched and we have protective mechanisms within our muscle that they don't want it to get stretched too far to where you tear a muscle or have injury. So it makes it contract when it gets stretched, it contracts. Now it's up to us to refine that process because we do have some conscious control over it and we can train and improve that process. But that's really that reflex that you're talking about is no different than the knee jerk reflex, right? When the doctor taps on your patellar tendon right, and, it, right. and it, you don't have control over it. That's the same. That's the same thing that's going on in a pitcher when he cocks back his arm and and lets it go just you know maybe slightly different so the longer you the the more time you waste in that isometric phase or what is it amortization phase i can Mm -hmm. never say that word right but the transition phase the more time you the more time you waste there the more energy that leaks out so back to your point on how much force we can put down is how much force we can generate up i believe it's don't don't quote me, but I think it's Newton's third law, equal and opposite force, right? Right. That's why the arm swing is so important in a jump, because that's just a, another lever allowing you to throw more force down so that you can bring more force up. Right. So it, in essence, you're triggering more of that stretch reflex by pulling more force into the ground in order to generate more coming out of it, um, right. which again... This is why it's important, whether it's upper body or lower body, to train both both posterior uh, and anterior. Uh, train both muscle groups, because if one's not strong, let's let's take the uh, the bodybuilder who he always wants to bench, but he never wants to do any pull ups or pulls. Right. right. That's what a, a lot of people don't understand: is the stronger you get your back, the stronger it's going to make your chest, and vice versa, because mm-hmm. they feed off of each other during that isometric phase right that's huge why to to be balanced is such i mean you got to have everything balanced in the body yeah yeah i might have got sidetracked there troy what i mean did it did i answer your question there what where were we going so we're we're talking about um you know the speed of loading yeah get energy leaks that was the big thing i was i was curious as to because you're talking about amortization and i'm when i hear that term i'm i think bend right? Like the bending at the knee joint mm-hmm. or, you know, if I'm planting that leg, I, I see high jump video, you know, where the most effective jumpers that I've seen their leg as they're putting it on the ground, looks like it's locked at the knee, you know, like it's straight, their upper body's lined up with it. So they may be leaning way back, you know, from their head to their toe, they look like a straight line. And then as they hit, you're going to get a tiny bit of flex there, you know, you can't lock your knee. Otherwise the shock goes right up into your hip Mm -hmm. and everything breaks. Right. So that, that doesn't work, but it's, it's a real fine line because you want to have it straight. 
And when it bends, like you said, you want to be able to bend it, stop the bend, stop the leak and get off right quickly. And I'm, I'm seeing that more and more as I'm looking at video, you know, these guys are the best jumpers in the world. Now their approach speeds are unlike anything that I've seen before, you know, in, in the last 30 years of jumping, it just seems like the Europeans and the Americans have just realized that, you know, power, I keep telling people this, I go, it used to be the, the, the old paradigm was the power jumper versus the speed jumper, right? The power jumpers were slower. They would come up double arm gather and, and, and more like a volleyball guy or a basketball guy jumping up to grab the rim with both hands, slower, more explosive straight up, but then they'd have trouble getting into the pit because they weren't going so fast. So it's, I, in my mind, it's easier to get going straight up at slower speeds, right? But if I'm I'm moving slower, I can use more power. But I, I realized, you know, and everybody goes, oh, then, then they're speed guys. These guys are way faster and they take off from farther out and they may go towards the bar a little bit, but it doesn't really matter because they're moving so quick. And I'm like, yeah, but power is force times velocity. So inside of that argument, I'm getting both sides. I'm getting force production mm -hmm. and I've got speed. So, you know, I'm thinking the same way I get, um, you know, acceleration or the same way I get um, speed off, off the ground. I tell my athletes, I go, hey, if we're going to measure your velocity, your, your moving velocity is your stride rate times your stride length, right? As you start from zero, both of those go up for a while. You know, you're going to, your stride length is going to lengthen as you're sprinting and your turnover is going to increase, but they both hit a limit at a certain point. And sometimes if you, if you're overstriding, you may, you know, suffer a drop in your turnover rate, blah, blah, blah. And there's, there's a way to maximize both, but they both increase for a while. And I was thinking the same thing about power. You know, we both know that, that force velocity, you know, flow chart where it's like, if I have a tremendous amount of force but I don't get any movement, right? Then I, I'm how much power am I creating on that power chart? And then if I go to the other end, if I get a tremendous amount of velocity, I tend to not have a lot of force involved, you know, cause I can't move mm -hmm. that much weight that quickly, right? So it's like, but all we talk about is increasing power. And I'm like, well, I kind of, I want to hit both ends if I can, you know? So th that's, that's kind of, um, so attacking it through that that lens, I guess, is what I'm trying to get at. And I'm, I want to know how to increase both. You know, how do I get that force pressure? Like you're saying, I understand the not lifting on the on the weak, um, the weak structure. You know, like you said, if there's some yeah. inherent weakness and you start throwing weight at it and it just breaks, that doesn't do any good. So there's there's a lot of pre-training you know, involved there, right. As you're and learning, like you're teaching your athletes, the, the young ones, and even these, like you said, people that might not be athletic, just want to get in better shape. Mm -hmm. You can't just, like you said, start throwing weights at them. Right. So you're, you do your groundwork, you know, you give them joint mobility, stability, all that kind of stuff. So I'm just thinking, man, it, it just, <laughs> there's so many variables. My brain's asking <laughs> so like many. 20 questions at once. It's like, you know, because I uh, there's so many things that fascinate me. Tai Chi, you know, I watch people do Tai Chi and these slow movements and, you know, everything's perfect. And I, I have a place for that in what I'm doing. So I'm like, well, if you can't do it slow and perfect, how do you think you're going to do it fast? You know, so if you're practicing your technique, yeah. you know, so there's value in moving slow and there's value mm -hmm. in these isometrics, like you're saying. And so 
to keep my knee from flexing as I put it under a tremendous amount of force, it makes sense to, you know, hold there, you know, with as much weight as mm -hmm. I can handle, or, you know, maybe a little bit past there at a place that I don't want to get to, but that would be the place where I can stop, you know, and, mm -hmm. and not suffer the leakage. Right. So, Oh, yeah. Yeah. So I, I, I know how your brain works. You got, <laughs> You you were writing your uh, encyclopedia on mm -hmm. uh, training, right? And mm -hmm. you had so many, you were going so many different ways. I think that's how I've, that's been the progression for me is just making it more simple, mm -hmm. simplifying it and starting that. That's You're going to hear this whole call. I keep going back to optimizing the structure in the beginning because yes. it's like, if you have an, if you have, there's so many analogies that I see where it makes sense. Like if you have an extension cord, and part of the rubber is missing on the extension cord, it's going to be leaking energy. You can always try and run more volts through it, but right. because that's, because that's there that, you know, the rubber has gone, you're still going to be leaking. So why not just fix the, fix the rubber and not right. have to put more volts through it, be more right. efficient. So, so now I'll start to talk about in my progression, it's everything is from the feet up and I've never realized how dormant feet and hands when it comes to upper body and you're doing a push-up it starts with your your fingers and your hands when you're doing a squat or any kind of movement it starts with your feet and your toes mm -hmm. so i've been hyper aware of man what toes are dormant like for instance on me i realized that it's weird but this is how in tune i've been my right pinky toe from jamming my foot in a shoe since i've been four years old my right pinky toe doesn't seem to spread out and activate as much as my other toes. Mm -hmm. So the more I sit there when I'm just doing like a good morning with a band and I really dig that pinky toe in, I feel my knee light up and then I feel my hip light up. And then there's a certain point in that movement when I can just feel everything connect, right? The extension cord lights up. Mm -hmm. So those are the small things that I'm focused on right now. That's, that's everything is, how can I lengthen the body? How can I activate starting from the ankles and the toes all the way up through the hips, all the way up through the thoracic spine? Um, and a lot of the movements that I see, they just don't make sense to me anymore. Like a squat where you're turning your toes out. If you're a bodybuilder, great. And you're only focused on making the muscle bigger. And don't get me wrong, you can get stronger by turning your toes way out. But that does not make sense to me within any athletic setting, because as soon as you turn those toes all the way out, you're leaking energy. Right. Tell me, tell me anybody who goes to plant like that, that would be like a high jumper turning 45 degrees out as they go to plant stick and jump. Yeah. It, this doesn't happen. Right. Their yeah. foot straight. Yeah. Somebody going to do, uh, you know, somebody in football who's going to make a lateral cut. They're not, they're going to stick their foot in the ground at a 90 degree angle to be able to go back the other way. They're not going to open way up to a 45 right. degree angle just to go. So those are the things that I think about. And, and then I look at nature. I, <laughs> I've been looking at nature a lot more of like, how, how does a cheetah walk? How does a cat walk? Yeah. They don't walk outside of their frame. When you right. see it, when you see a, a, a lion or a, a, whatever, any big cat, when they're ready to pounce, they have their hands right under them and they utilize the bow in the shoulder 
and that's where the power comes from. But you'll never mm-hmm. see him with out here, right? So I'm getting deep, Troy, but these are the things that I look at. The older I get and the more and then I I apply this, it just makes so much sense to where, man, turning your toes out doesn't make any sense to me. Right. At all. No, I get you're that. leaking. Well, I my my analogy is north and south, right? Like running backs, we were always taught you're gonna go fourth and one, go straight ahead, shortest distance between two points, but it's like like you said, if I'm if I'm training a hundred meter sprinter, I do not want arm swing that's going across. I don't want legs kicking out. You see kids that you know kick out to the side where their feet are like flinging sideways. I'm like any ah. movement that's going east and west, you've got to counter that with obliques and your upper body. You've got to restabilize because you're you're really going like this, you know. And it's like that's totally mm-hmm. inefficient, right? So. You know, you're talking yeah. about placement and all that. I mean, I've been, there's been so many times, you know, looking through, through the years, like you're saying anything angled out, like I'm a big believer in lining, uh, like you're saying force production off the ground, putting your foot at a certain angle. Like you said, I've had, I had one jumper and at the high school level, he's a six footer, you know, he's Okay. In our league, that was enough to win, but he he would come through and like you're saying, he would plant that foot out. And I'm usually like, usually they're pointed in. I get people that are pointed mm-hmm. in at the back left corner of the pit. And that bugs me also because I don't think I can get my knee drive around. So I'm like, please plant your foot parallel to the bar. You know, we're leaning back here. We're going to roll off that foot. Everything comes up. You spin around at the top with the knee drive, right? Well, his foot was angled out like you're saying, a 45. And I'm like, you've got to jump backwards. He's actually putting his foot out here. And the way the foot lines up, you got to push backwards at a 45 mm-hmm. degree angle. It's not, you're not going to be able to go as efficiently, you know? And I'm just like, you can't do that. You know? And I, I was unable to get that across to the kid. And he ended up winning league as a junior and then switched to the long jump as senior and won the long jump. So that was kind of funny because he, we just couldn't get that. But um that yeah. that idea, I, I love what you said about the animal studies. I, I remember seeing uh, a really interesting study one time of the way gait changes in all four-legged animals. If you watch them, if you put them on a treadmill, they will start walking and they do the two legs on the same side together and the other two legs, they look like a like a train. So they go two, 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 two. But mm-hmm. when they get to a certain point, It'll switch and they'll go across. They'll go back, right, front, left, back, left, front, right. And they start doing that. And then it'll start going into a front and back. It's it's bizarre, but they'll go front to back to front because they're going faster and faster. Like when you watch a cheetah, right? they grab the ground in front with both paws and pull, right? After they mm-hmm. arch their spines and get as long as they can, like you're saying, there's a long stretch ready. And they pull with both feet and the front feet push and they reach all the way through. So they go from incredibly arched to all the way balled up, you know, feet, <laughs> you know, out in front, like yeah. a long jumper, just like a long jumper. Exactly. Should you know, and so, yeah, I, I watched that. And then at the very end, believe it or not, after they go front, back, front, back, then they go one, two, three, four, one, two, three, four, front, back, back to it's like, but um, but um, but um, but um, but um, and it's like. Right. It's fascinating. It doesn't matter what kind of animal it is. It could be horses, cats, dogs, 
yep. if you put them on the treadmill, they do that. <laughs> they all have the same system. <laughs> so it's like, yeah. we are four-legged, but we don't, you know, it's like when you look at it, you're, like, you're only using the two, but it's like you get to a point and we don't do the Indian rain dance, you know, the left, both left, both right. So it's always a cross. Right. But it, it is interesting, you know, to see the similarities. And like you said, no feet or paws way out to the side, you know, which like you said, if I, if I open up, I mean, just think of all the inefficiencies with your calves, your hammies, your, your quads, your, your hip muscle. I mean, you rotate those hips out and you start pushing. It's like you're losing so much power. You're leaking power everywhere. It's crazy. So much. And a, and a lot of it starts with, it's still animals don't lie because they don't sit in chairs. Right. I mean, right. we've, since I was in, since I started kindergarten, I've been conditioned to sit in the chair uncomfortably. Um, and, and that's just, it, it's ruined us, honestly, when it comes to athletes, like your hip flexors are tight. You're sitting in a chair all day yeah. for six, six hours, maybe more. And then you get into corporate life or whatever, whatever your career is. A lot of times you're sitting down in a chair all day. It's like uh, a cheetah they're they're sleeping the same way and they're sitting the same way like how they've always been meant to sit so i think that's part of the problem is just our how our everyday lives have changed um right but yeah i mean you just you you think about the natural like you said how the cheetah just utilizes that the elasticity that it was meant to to use it fully stretches out and then it contracts yeah um and there's it's not just this it's not just this straight line too. I mean, they're, it's kind of like you think about how a fish swims, right? A fish mm-hmm. is using that spine. The yeah. we're meant to have curv- curvature in our body to, right. to, you know, when you pitch, you get a little bit of rotation and then it's all, it's all built on angles and rotations. Nothing is yeah. just a straight line anywhere. Right. right. The, mo- the most powerful things in nature are always built on a curve. Um, just, just the way it is. So, I think again, you go back to opening your toes out. You're taking away that curve to where even when your toe, your toes are turned in a little bit, when you go from hip to ankle, it kind of creates that that energy curve. Mm-hmm. Uh, and as soon as you turn those toes out, that energy's leaked because you don't have it anymore. You're not right. able to create that internal tension and torque mm-hmm. to where most people can open up externally, rotate more than they can internally rotate. So. Right. Back to me, I focus a lot on the internal rotation now, like, you know, just trying to fully internally rotate at the shoulder and externally rotate and really hitting those endpoints to where I'm cornering inside of the joint. Mm-hmm. Just like when you, when you do a hip hinge and you, you're reaching your hips back, you're reaching your hips back, and eventually you hit that end sticking point, and that's the corner. Mm-hmm. So you found the corner of that joint and that's where you're most powerful to create that elasticity from. So I don't think a lot of people know how to fully find those endpoints within their joint range of motion. If that makes yeah. sense. Yeah. Um, I mean, and I think we're just constantly from sitting in chairs, we're just compensating and it, it trains certain pathways in our brain through our body. So you really mm-hmm. have to break those down and be aware of what's going on and, that's been the, that's been my whole journey the last couple of years is like, man, just trying to, uh, if you've ever just sat and laid on your back and tried to internally rotate your ankle all the way, 
sometimes your brain won't let you do it. You start to rotate your whole leg. You can't just single out your ankle and move your ankle. Right. You turn your whole leg. So when I've gotten to the point where I've, I've, I spend a lot of time in my warm up, believe it or not, just trying to move one little body part, like mm -hmm. move my pinky toe, move the next toe in, but only move that one part. Right. A lot of times if you can isolate, if you can create the brain body connection with every single muscle on its own, you bring it back together. It's stronger as a whole. But a lot of us, you know, if we move, if we try to move, move our ankle, leg, we move yeah. our whole leg. Right. Yeah. Right. So that's where you can almost reset the central nervous system by taking time. You got to re it's almost like if you had a stroke, you have to relearn how to do right. everything in a, from a lesser scale. That's what I've been trying to do is how can I only internally rotate at the hip and not move anything else? And then only at the ankle. Right. And then only activate. So, um, that's not something that's necessarily easy to put into online training. You right. know what I mean? Right. That's stuff yeah. that where I, I almost need to be exact right there with you. I need to be able to, uh, you know, yeah, I need to be right there if I'm, if I'm teaching these things, but this is what I apply in my everyday life. This is what's leveled me up upper body, lower body. Um, and just from a, my body feeling good, that's made a huge difference. I, I'm curious as as we go talking about this because I I see uh, a tremendous potential in uh, it almost sounds like yoga like focus um, meditation you know getting you in touch with each part of your body um, you know we, we've got a tremendous this this body is so complex there's so many things going on at one time you know all the different systems in our bodies from reproduction to you know your kidneys to this to that all tied together all amazingly you know we're still unlocking little pieces of it from time to time but i i'm wondering where did how did this come about did you read about it did you luck into it i mean how i i see it i understand what you're saying and i go and i i think like you said it's difficult it's difficult to get Americans, especially to take the time, like who's going to take the time to do that, right? You got to really, really break it down. But what, what started you down that road? Because I, I can see the benefits, but like, did you just happen across it? Like you're saying, when you're coming back from an injury or how'd that work? Yeah. So c coming back from an injury, but also I'm a, I, I take a little bit from everybody, right? So mm -hmm. this particular, this particular thing where I'm talking about like flex being able to internally and externally rotate and kind of resetting the central nervous system comes from a guy. Um, it's called, I think it's called square one system, square mm -hmm. one system. So what he was talking about is basically that a lot of times we are, we get locked up because our body perceives the ground as unsafe. So it, it perceives that force that we're about to create as unsafe. So we have all these compensations we create. Sometimes it starts with an injury. Like if you tore your ACL when you're 18 years old, you probably still have that compensation stored in your body when you're right. 10 years later. And I found, I found that to be so true. Like, uh, I mean, you, you have to really take time and just lay on your back and you have to, it, it, it's so hard to uh, like, let's say you can, you can try this after this was the one I had had the hardest time with. So you get in a hip bridge position, right? Your hips are fully to the ceiling. 
Right. And then you raise your feet off the ground. So you dorsiflex while you're in that hip bridge position. And then you set your hips back down. You keep your feet dorsiflexed and you only try to turn your ankle like that. Mm -hmm. And man, when I was doing that, I was turning my whole hip just to turn my ankle. Like I didn't have independent control to have mm -hmm. dorsiflexed and turn. Right. Sounds simple, but I was really diving into that. And one day I was so relaxed. I did that and I just had to relax everything, kind of had to start from the abdominals all the way down to my ankles. I have no tension and I was able to get a ton of range of motion in it. I really mm -hmm. was able to just focus on that, that, that specific uh, joint range of motion. Right. And that day was when it kind of opened up because once I did that, I started to do my jumps and it felt like I had more uh, activation in my ankles and my feet. And so, so through that guy, uh, square one system, I, I started diving into that area of things. So, so that's, that's how that part of it started. Um, but then it just started making so much sense. Like when I'm, when I do my upper body days, I would just lay on my back and I would try to drive the back of my hands into the ground, but I would really create that force with starting proximal to distal, right? Mm -hmm. So I, I would create it with my, my shoulder girdle instead of compensating all the way down with my wrists and my, my forearms. And again, I had to sit there and really be relaxed to only use the most proximal muscle. That's right. the only thing I needed. And then I would come together and I would squeeze my palms together, but I would only be using the most proximal muscle to do that. Um, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm kind of rambling <laughs> rambling now, but like only use what you need to use, only use the muscles that you need to use. Right. So this, so when you're, that's master to beginner, when you're doing a push up and you're inexperienced, you're using so many muscles you don't need when really, I mean, you can just use the elasticity in those proximal muscles to do a push up. You go down, you know, you pull your scapula back and you use that force to bring you back up. Mm -hmm. So this is uh, interesting because you've got your training. Uh, what, what you said to me, it struck me because the, the whole thing about your body treating the ground like it's afraid. And I, mm -hmm. I, I can see that right from someone, which is why it's so amazing to me that Doug you know, Nordquist jumped 236 on a reconstructed ACL because you would have to think there's a fear there that I'm going to put my foot on the ground and it's going to be even worse than last time. Everything's just going to explode. Because you ever watch Doug run, he runs at about a 45 degree angle around the corner before he puts that foot on the ground and then goes up. There's a tremendous amount of force running through there, right? So it's like, there had to be a little bit of a learning curve there because, you know, most people tell you what, it's almost 18 months on any reconstructed knee, right? Because it's, mm -hmm. there's a trust factor there, right? You got to strengthen it. You got to do all that other stuff. That's, that's why that season that Adrian Peterson had was so amazing. Also, you know, Doug Nordquist, Adrian Peterson are the two in my head that, you know, within a year of a major reconstructed ACL surgery, they come back and had career years, you know, where they've never done anything like that before. Um, and that sometimes I think about that, like the, um, it's obviously not just that, but like the Tommy John surgery, you know, that all these guys are having with those, the ligaments, the tendons in their elbows that are getting thrashed. Sometimes if they just have the slightest 
tears, they're, they're telling them, they go, Hey, get the surgery. Cause when you come back, it's going to be tighter than it was mm-hmm. before, and you'll pick up speed on your pitching, you know, cause it's for whatever reason. Right. And, and some people have, you know, it's pretty amazing. So I look at that and I go, okay, there's, there's that part of it. The, the fear thing is amazing when you say that, cause I, I'm constantly going over this with jumpers, you know, and I think it's so basic, Aaron, that when, when my kids come up and they, they're first jumping, I think the brain has two parts. There's instinct and then there's rationality, right? And I keep telling them, I go, your brain tells you, when I tell you the secret to high jumping, I tell my kids this all the time, I go, as the bar goes up, we need to get farther away from it, okay? You need room to hit your height. You know, you if you're too close, you start going up and you're going to knock it off on the way up and you'll be a foot over it behind the bar, but the bar's already down, you've missed. So let's move you farther out. And there's a this war that goes on with their brains because the safe side of the brain says, okay, when we take off the ground, I want to land over there in that nice pit area where I'm the, the nice mat, you know, where I'm going to be safe. <laughs> I don't want to go straight up in the air and land on my head because that would cause me to die. And your brain is in self-preservation mode all the time. That's a constant, you know, it, it's like you can tell it to do something and it's going to be like, okay, you know, I can see where that might be fun and everything, but uh, no, we're, we're not going to do that. <laughs> and it's like, so I'm yep. trying to get them to do two things. And the brain has this split running down the middle where they know you're showing, I've demonstrated as old as I am, I'll be like, take off three feet away from the bar and jump over a low bar. And I'm like, look, as old as I am, I can do that from back here. <laughs> I know that when I run in this direction, I'm going to go over there. I don't have to, I don't have to fling my head back. I don't have to do anything. I'm going over there. Momentum will not be defeated. So, but when they come up, man, that they, they start bailing to the right and they're, you know, cause their brain gets involved and we're getting into another area here. We just went off on a tangent, but it's like, I think it's so hard to change things that have been learned. Like when, if I get a jumper within the first week, if they, they're coached through them in the event the other day, and they, I get this all the time. It's part of cornerstone of my business. Somebody who's never high jumped before, they go to their meet, the girl jumps four, six and wins. And they're like, oh, she really loves a high jump and they don't have a coach. Well, nobody has a high jump coach because nobody's making any money coaching, which is why they just usually leave them floundering on their own. But they'll call me and they're like, hey, we're going to come see you. And I go, great. Within that first week, they already have habits. They have a way that they found to get over the bar. And when you do that, the brain is amazing at going, I've I've isolated this. I know how this works. So I run and I get into the air and then I throw my head back really hard. And then I close my eyes. And then when I hit the mat, I'm over. And there's an immediate reward because everybody goes, hey, that was great. And high fives and this and that. And maybe you end up winning, blah, blah, blah. And now that's a pattern. All you have to do is do it a couple of times and it's in there. And I come up and I go, okay, this whole thing you're doing when you throw your head back and you bail to the right. That's all wrong. <laughs> and they're like, <laughs> they're part of their brains, like going, what do you mean that's wrong? I this works for me, you know? And I'm like, okay, let me move the bar up four inches. And you try that fling your head over to the right thing. You just smack your head right on the bar. And right there, you've established the dichotomy because the one part of their brain's going, yeah, but this works. And the other part of the brain's going, God, you know, he's right. I'm gonna start smacking my head on the bar doing that. 
and, and now you've got a war where you're trying to fix learned patterns, you know? Yeah. You, you um, hit it, you hit it perfect in that the brain starts to store patterns and habits. And what if, what if your body had a brain of its own, which it kind of does, that's like the central nervous system, right? Mm -hmm. And you start to store all these compensations. So when you can kind of, when you can kind of do the reset, like I'm talking about, that's almost what I'm doing when you're doing equal and opposite forces there and trying to only use what you really need. You're almost resetting the body. You're wiping the memory clean and saying, hey, we're, we're solid now from the base all the way mm -hmm. out to the extremities. Uh, we're one unit and we work together. So you do that and it's like you're, you're, if your body feels unsafe at the ankle or at the knee or at the hip, it's not going to fully allow you to put as much force down as you could. It's not going to store. It's, it's kinked up. It's kinked up. Right. We got to get those kinks out. Yeah. Uh, but at, a, but at every angle. So maybe your toes are dormant. If your toes are dormant, they're not spreading out when they go to hit the ground. And we all know that if you have a wider base to push from, like on your, like when I do a push up, I try to spread my hand out as far as I can. Mm -hmm. I see a lot of people doing push ups like this. Right. And you're The more I do, I try to spread my fingers as wide as I can and I get more power. I get more elasticity. Your toes are really no different. Uh, if you're not spreading that base out, you're not spreading the force out and your toes are going to think the ground's unsafe. Your ankle is pushing from a smaller base because it doesn't have those toes spread out. It's going to think it's unsafe. You know wow. what I mean? Yeah. It's nuts, dude. Like that I started is... going down this rat. I started going down this rabbit hole and it's, it's honestly changed because I, I can spread my toes out and I can feel, I can feel my knee and my hip activate from spreading my pinky toe out more. Right. Like if that doesn't tell you something. Right. <laughs> That's amazing. Cause now when you think about it, like you said, you've been shoving your foot into a shoe, right? So now you get into the area of, you know, would it be better to be running in socks or those, you know, those, uh, they have those, their socks either with spikes on them or, you know, yeah, really light yeah. shoes. Right. So it's something that you can do that or you can expand everything because i'm i'm thinking now like the ancient greeks when they're running down the runway to do the long jump i'm pretty sure they were butt naked if i <laughs> pictures right, probably right? they were just yeah everybody was like you know that was a different culture back then but it was just like hey this is what we were born with and here we come you know and you're going to fight in the arena, you're naked and you you're running down the runway to long jump or throw the discus or whatever, all these great events. But you can see what you're saying. Like if, if I don't have the encumbrances of, you know, the shoes, especially, that's just amazing to me. I, I think about those times, you know, when my feet hurt nine times out of 10, I'll just throw my, whatever pair of shoes I've got away. And I invariably, when I look at them, I'm like, Oh dude, these are falling apart. I didn't even notice, you know, but it's like, you just wear them because they're comfortable. And then all of a sudden when they're not comfortable anymore, I remember looking at them going, oh yeah, these are done, you know, time to get some new shoes. But you think too, like all the little weaknesses that there are translated through that, you know, where you're just like right away when my feet hurt, I'm going to start compensating, right? I'm mm -hmm. not going to put as much force on the ground or I'm, you know, that yeah. the protective stuff like you're talking about. I mean, if, if you're, ankle hurts or your knee hurts and you jump off of that leg i mean what are you going to be able to 
put, you know, you have to override some systems to, to run Absolutely. because you're, you're anticipating pain, right? And that's one thing that as, as humans, we're wired to avoid it's pain, you know, cause it can't yeah. be beneficial, right? Yeah. In all, in all areas of life, right. It's uh, in business, it, like you're afraid to fail. So you lock up. It's no yeah. different with your body. Your body is afraid of that pain. It's going to avoid it, create a new, uh, inefficient pathway right. to generate, to, to reroute the force when, Hey, we need to go right through the roadblock, open this back up. So, yeah. it, it, and I, and I don't necessarily think we should, it'd be kind of hard to be on that, that track and bare feet. You'd, you'd shred your feet up, but it, right. as much as I can, I, I like to be barefoot when I'm doing squats or, uh, you know, certain movements. I, when I'm at the gym, I take my shoes on and off as I see fit. Right. Uh, because as long as you're still taking time to go barefoot and activate those muscles, when you put the shoe back on, there's going to be a level of, it, it stays with you. That activation stays right. there. But I honestly, I, I like, I wear shoes a long time because I like when they're broken. Um, as long as they're not absolutely, the soul's not falling off. Right. I right. can feel the where I have more room to spread my toes out because right. they're loosened up. I have, I've kind of imprinted where I'm at in those shoes, new shoes is always tough. You're usually getting blisters because your foot's not formed to it yet. Right. Right. Yeah. I agree there too. So that's the one thing I've been noticing the older people, they say your feet get bigger. So like I went, I went to Costco yesterday and I'm famous for buying $25 pairs of shoes. Cause I'm just cheap. And I'm <laughs> like, you know, the sketchers, I love sketchers, sketchers. Cause number one, I'm lazy. I don't like tying shoes. I'm just like any other. <laughs> So I like to be able to shove my foot into a shoe and not have to worry about anything else. Skechers are my new favorite brand that way. But uh, all of a sudden, I'm a 13 instead of a 12 <laughs> for that same reason. Because I, <laughs> I can get my feet in there easier, you know, and then I'm walking around on cushy Skechers. So I like it. Yeah, un unlocking your your feet. Um, I'm I'm real curious. We'll, we'll cover this and I'll let you go, Aaron. You're, you're being so generous with your time. Um, when you do this now, I've, I've heard the... The widening, the widening of the fingers on push-ups and the the spreading mm -hmm. of the toes when you're doing squats. Once you you've developed this program, I I picture you know like in in my programs I'm writing posterior and anterior, and I also have a little medial and lateral. And I'm sure that's more involved than I've broken it down to. But I I find my training programs get too long the more things I put in there. So it's like. You know, the posterior chain, calves, hammies, glutes, low back, you know, uh, deltoids or not deltoids, lats. So the whole posterior chain where a, a high jumper would throw their head back and try to get their head to, to get to their heels, right? Com completely mm -hmm. close the loop and spin quicker, like you can see in my background. Um, and then anterior chain for me would be, you know, tibialis, which not not a whole lot of things you can do there as far as training it other than you know the knees over toes guy stuff but then you've got my my quads my hip flexors my abs and then i've only been dealing with the deltoids because i need to get my hands up at takeoff right so the i i've got kind of a balance you know calves and tibialis quads and glute quads and hammies you know glutes and hip flexors low back and abs and then deltoids and lats right? Kind of front and back of all those. And my curiosity for that is how do you, how do you 
put that in when you're writing your programs, it, this activation of, you know, this and that, uh, I find it interesting from your, from the, is the weakness always the small, like the, the, the pinky finger, the pinky toe? Always. Yeah. So the, and then how does that yeah. work into to your exercises? Because you say you're here. My brain went the other way. I started going more complex, and you're you're Mister, you know, make it <laughs> simplify. simple, simplify it for sure. So simplify it for us, like just super basic, maybe just from legs and arms. What would you you do in your workout as you're doing this? Yeah. Yeah, no, no matter what I program in, whether it's for the everyday person or an athlete, there's always some sort of injury prevention built into every superset. So even if you're doing if you're doing a plyometric and maybe a tempo back squat, I'm throwing in I'm probably throwing in like a lateral band walk, whether the band be around your knees or your ankles. Um, so that way you're staying lengthened while only activating the glute muscle when you do these walks. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you go back to a beginner who does like a monster walk with a band on their legs, man, it looks painful because they're like, you know what I mean? They're right. all scrunched up trying to move this band. And then somebody like me, who I do them every single day, I've been doing them every day for probably five, <laughs> five, six years. It looks relaxed because I'm lengthened. I'm only using what I need to use, and that's my glutes. Um, so I build something like that into every superset. Uh, whether If it's upper body, maybe it's like a band breaker, right? To where you're holding at the back. But again, a beginner who does a band breaker, they're all tense. They're using way more than they need to use. And really, it's just it's your scapula. Pull apart, relax, come back. I build those into every superset. Um, part, part of it is you can't just take somebody and just because you do a, a great job explaining or demonstrating, there's no way around doing the work. You got to right. do the work. You have to get in tune with your body and feel it yourself. And there's only one way to do that. Immerse yourself in it. Right. Um, so somebody like me who's been obsessed with it since I can remember of just how the body moves and paying attention to those internal cues, you got to put the hours in. One of the easiest ways uh, to start to be aware of your body is just hanging from a pull-up bar. If you hang from a bar, a lot of people are going to notice if they're tight in their traps or their thoracic spine, because it'll start to kind of cramp up and get tight on you. When you can just hang from a bar and be fully loose or maybe do some like scap retractions, Right. I mean, even when you when you're on a bar high enough to where your legs can hang, you'll feel where the tightness is in your legs and in your core. Like that's the Mm -hmm. best because your body's not wanting to allow itself to be lengthened. So wherever those tight areas are, you're going to feel it when trying to lengthen. Right. Right. That's the best and most simple way. Spent a lot of time just hanging from a pull-up bar. Yeah. Laying on laying on my back on the ground and trying to fully lengthen as i'm laying there interesting i i i think this is to me it's it's revolutionary in in a way i i like the um kind of the zen and the relaxation part of it but also the get it getting the fine connection you know between you guys uh, you know another thing that just pops into my head is the whole gross motor to fine motor control yeah Cause you've got, yeah. you've got some muscles that are just so powerful. And when they activate, they move you pretty much in a gross direction, but quickly that way. And then you've got the controllers, <laughs> the real fine, 
you know, you watch a concert pianist at work and you go, man, I, I didn't know fingers could do that. <laughs> it's like my fingers, <laughs> my fingers can't, yeah. you know, it's like, it's really con- complex. So, you know, and, and realizing, you know, like you said, you can do that, you know, with your toes, I think, what was it, uh, it was Kill, Kill Bill, Kill Bill. Oh, yeah. Trying yeah. to make your toes move. <laughs> that, I am so glad you brought that up, Troy. I, I used to think about that, how she, she had to really think about how to move, how to move that one toe. That's, right. that's the same stuff I'm doing right now. Because mm-hmm. it's not as easy as you think. Like, yeah, we can wiggle our foot and all of our toes together, but can you wiggle just one toe? Right. Are you... Are you in touch enough to wiggle just one toe? And it's a, it's a hell of a lot harder than you think. <laughs> yeah. 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 I find that uh, it's, a, it's amazing when you think of, I just think it comes down to so much that we're always in a hurry. <laughs> it's like, you know, what's you. expedient? You know, what, what, what's the quickest way I can get this, this done? And when you, you put it in gross terms like that, you know, getting something done, it's almost like, how can I get this workout done? It's like, well, you can rush it. <laughs> you can, you can speed the whole thing up. You know, it's like uh five minute abs, you know, what was it in, in um, something about Mary, you know, it's a big revolution was, Hey, I'll do six minute abs. You know, that's, that's my, <laughs> my system is seven minute yeah. abs, you know? And it's like, okay, we don't even like to spend that long. You know, it's like, I've, I've seen these things on the internet now for, you know, like you're saying people sit in chairs all day. It's like, okay, let's start doing a workout for sitting in a chair, which, mm-hmm. It's brilliant in its own way. You're just like, okay, so you're going to sell something to the the couch potatoes or the chair workers to get them working what, instead of just sitting there. I'm like, well, you know, more power to you because that's that's a great idea. But at the same time, like you're saying, it's like I'm sitting here with my hips already locked. How am I going to work? You know, so yeah, it's it's revolutionary in its in its simplicity with lots of applications. So that's where my brain is like. You know, yeah, and someone like you to go, here's maybe five, five stock movements, like you're saying, you know, the, the hanging from the mm -hmm. wall, playing here, activating the toes and the fingers. Um, Yeah. So to, uh, with all of that being said, you don't have to be able to dedicate 45 minutes to laying on the ground. You can just do five minutes before a workout, focus on stretching your arms all the way above your head and totally flexing your toes and just getting lengthened. And when you do that, again, your body's going to tell you exactly where you're tight at. You might go to try to fully stretch out toes pointed, um, arms above your head, and maybe your, your scapula is locking up. Okay. You're tight in the upper body. Maybe you feel a little bit of collapsing in your abdominal, like that's where it's tight. So it's just, it's just becoming more aware. It doesn't mean you have to spend 45 minutes laying on the ground and Zen. But when I take that five to 10 minutes, when I am in a hurry, uh, cause I work out before my job now, when I am in a hurry, I just take five to 10 minutes to set. It does sound Zen, but check in with, Hey, where am I tight at? And I take some time to loosen that up and I might work on different areas every day. But then when I go to complete the strength part of my workout, I'm better because yeah. my body's not kinked up. I've got those kinks out. I'm a, I'm more of a aligned system than, than having all these compensations. Wow. Uh, yeah. And that's, and that's not sexy this in this day and age, everybody wants quick results, but sure. I, I'm just here. I'm just here to tell you a lot of the, the stuff that I can do. It's came from, it hasn't came from sitting there, you know, bench pressing and doing all this. 
I take time to focus on those smaller things. And then I come back and my bench press is stronger mm-hmm. and I'm jumping more efficiently and I'm doing single leg bounds more efficiently right? because my body perceives the ground is safe. I have the right structure in place and it becomes easy, yeah. which is why the master of anything makes it look easy. Bruce Lee makes it look easy because he's like water because he's done it so many times. He is maximum efficiency. Right. So that's just the the process of seeking efficiency is what will take you to the next level. So that's where I'm taking a step back to take a step forward. Yeah, I could squat 315 and move all this heavy weight and probably get more explosive. But why not do the other stuff first and then add weight in Mm -hmm. and just level up even more with no pain and no injury, mind you. Right. Yeah, well... Man, it sounds like a great book. <laughs> I'm trying, I'm trying it's a lot to chew on. Yeah, I'm trying to get you to write the book so I can read it. Um, now you know my brain does the same thing. There's all these inter the the whole area of of this idea because you've opened this up. But I I talk about it all the time. Like I said, this learning, how we learn, how we apply, you know, the motor systems, all these things. Like I I tell the kids, I'm like, we're putting in a new movement. Say I watch somebody, I'm like, you know what? you would be a really good single armor. Like you, you run up and you're not really good at getting both arms in there anyway. This one's already starting to creep up here and you're getting this. I'm like, let's get this arm all the way up. And then you just run off the ground European, you know? And I, I drill it right from the start. I just have them stand there with their foot on the ground, this arm up, and then I'll go, okay, now let's go through the takeoff. You know, so you're already in the right position. We go from here. So, okay, we do like 10, 15 of those in a row. I said, now take a step back. So they're here and they step back here. And I'm like, so what do we just do? I said, that movement is exactly what's going to happen as you go to take off, right? You're just going to switch and go. So I, all we've added is one step and you watch and that arm will creep back down. They'll try to use it again as a double. And I'm like, and then you start to see the systems that have been in place. Cause it's like, mm-hmm. here's this new pattern that you're introducing. You make it simple. They can repeat it. And then you change one thing, just add a step. And all of a sudden it's a whole new movement. And their brain, when you say, okay, now let's jump from here. Their brain goes, well, what have we done the most? You know, or it doesn't even ask that question. It's just, I think sometimes it's like, like the Terminator. Like if you ever watched the original Arnold Schwarzenegger, you know, there's one time where the guy comes up and he goes, Hey, what do you, you got a dead cat in there or something, buddy? And he's in there repairing his systems and, and they show <laughs> yeah. possible responses right? And the first one is F you, buddy. And the second one is this, that, and and it goes up and down really quick, like it's scanning. And then it picks one and he goes, F you, you know, you, whatever. And it's like, okay, I think our brains do the same thing. When If I give you an open command and I go jump over the bar and I give you one step, your brain quickly analyzes a ton of stuff. How far away am I? What speed am I moving at? This, that, and the other thing. What have I done in the past? And it comes up with, oh, he means this is this. And it picks. But on mm-hmm. this, this list, I think there's a hierarchy of the most often used program. Just like any other thing. Like if we're if I open up a program, my my uh, Google Sheets, you know, and it says I go to open. It'll say, do you mean this one? You were just working mm-hmm. on this la- yesterday, right? Or do you mean this one? You worked on that last week. So it's like, if I say move, it's going to go, oh, do you mean like this? 
because this is what we do all the time. And it's just going to default there. And that's what you get. And I'm like, we just went over the single arm. Why'd you go back to two? You know, it's like right. well, done two a hundred times. They've done one 10 times because you just showed them. So uh, it's just amazing to me how rigid sometimes and how quickly these things get associated in there, these patterns, both good and bad, you know? So oh, yeah. I think it's harder yeah. to get rid of stuff that's been in there longer. Obviously you talk about things like Tiger Woods, these, you know, swing changes. I remember first of all, Tiger Woods said he's changing his swing and everybody's why <laughs> you're winning everything. Well, he wasn't happy one time and he said, I, you know, I, I won this tournament and I only had my C game and a bunch of people got upset because they're like, I'm playing my A game. You beat me with your C game. And then, but then when he did finish those fixes, all of a sudden he went on another tear where he was winning everything again. And it's like, but he would talk about the fact that, you know, from a hundred yards out, he's going to hit a wedge and all of a sudden the old swing came back and he mm -hmm. would pull it left, you know, and it's like the muscle memory in there, you know, you, it takes a long time to root things out and lay down the new stuff, you know? So yeah, when you start talking about things like this, where the brain activation here and there, like I see that practically every day, you know, in a jump workout or a sprint workout or, you know, whatever, when you're just like, okay, no, 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 we got to, we got to ditch that and we got to change it to here, you know, and it's so difficult sometimes <laughs> pulling teeth. And I, I've come up with these analogies, like uh, the frog in the hot water pot, you know, because mm -hmm. sometimes it's weird, but every once in a while you can suggest a change to someone and they just implement it. It's done. They just do it. And you're like, yeah, that's it. Do that. And then they do it again. You're like, oh God, this is great. You did it two times in a row. Now maybe there's a pattern, <laughs> you know, let's go again. <laughs> yeah. And so it's like the shock value, but then other people, if you throw the, for those of you that haven't heard us before, you, you take a frog and there's a hot boiling pot of water, you throw the frog in there, he'll jump out. He's like, no, that's too hot. But if you sit a frog in a pot of water that's, you know, comfortable and you slowly start heating it, they'll just sit in there and they don't notice anything's changing and they'll end up cooked, you know? And so I, I I tried to use that analogy both ways. I said, some people can be the, the one where the shock takes and they just implement something new. But I said, I think most of us learn like the, the slowly cooking frog that just, you know, gradually over time, slight little changes that I don't notice so that I don't react negatively. I'm, I'm still working on the analogy, but it's, uh, I just find it interesting that it's opened up a whole nother thing. Like sometimes I think, am I a neuroscientist? Like, uh, <laughs> when, <laughs> yeah. When did I start going down this path? You know? Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, I don't know at, at what level that comes in. You have to have some level to experience to be in tune with your body to even make some of the changes I'm talking about. Right. But I think it could be introduced a little bit earlier than, hey, I, I found a little bit later <laughs> in my career. Now after my, I mean, I'm still going to be an athlete, but uh, yeah, I've just seen how profound it is and it's not sexy, so people don't want to take the time to do it. But if I told you it could level you up to a mm -hmm. place you've never, you never even thought you could feel this good, like yeah. it might be worth putting a little bit of time into it. Well, it's, uh, it's, and this is the last thing I swear. Um, I think <laughs> you, you brought it up earlier when you said that um, so many times we get an injury, and we when we go into rehab, 
and we get a good rehab guy, not your hack, like that, you know, that Dario yeah. <laughs> got his, where he was like, God, this isn't doing anything for me at all. But you get someone that really understands that, hey, everything, the reason your system broke was you were out of balance, right? And they take you back and they break you down and they give you the stabilizers. They give you joint stability and this and that. And you start rebuilding the foundation. And like you said, I mean, how many guys... I think Drew Brees comes to my mind, you know, shoulder surgery, all the stuff that he did. And when he came back, he was better than he was before, you know, and, and you go, how does he mm -hmm. get injured and come back better? And it's like, well, they were, they were inherently weak at a certain point. And like you said, it got identified. They went back and they reinvented themselves, quote unquote, but they fixed it. And they, not only did they fix it, they didn't just get it back to where it was before because where it was before they ended up injured. They came back with it completely fixed. Like in in if you were a car, they didn't, you know, make the part better. They just replaced it with a brand new, fully functioning part. Now we can't do that in our bodies unless it's a complete restructure, which we we both know can be okay, but not as good as the original. But you get the idea. It's like it's fixed, it's better than it was. And therefore, everything is better than it was before. Yeah. And, yeah. and high, high, level, high level athletes, they lean into that. When they come back, they just don't forget about the rehab to get back. They become obsessed with continuing to optimize that. Right. So every time I've been in therapy, I come out and I even create variations from what the therapist gave me because it feels so good. And I'm seeing so much benefit that came from it that I implemented it into every single workout. Like it's. And that's where, that's why high level athletes usually come back better because they get obsessed with that. That it's not just, hey, it's fixed now. Hey, this is a forever life maintenance on yeah. this part. And then right. maybe they ended up applying that to another body part. And they just, that's where the obsession comes in. If yeah. you're really trying to be the best. Absolutely. You get obsessed with those weaknesses until they become your strength. Yes. Yes, exactly. That's and that should be the the cornerstone of training is finding, you know, going through. You don't you don't take your strengths and I mean you do. You take your strengths and you continue to enhance those strengths because they're the things that you do best. But the the really good athlete, I think, identifies weaknesses and mm -hmm. tries to fix those. You know, what did Kobe Bryant do every year? He would come back with a new move. Like that one year he came back shooting left-handed jumpers. And then yep. like, what? <laughs> He's shooting left-handed. That's like I've been I've been trying to block this dude's shot from the right, and that's hard enough. But now he can go to his left and shoot left, <laughs> like in a game. Yeah. So mm -hmm. you know, find find your weakness and fix it. Absolutely. Well, Aaron, um, uh, as usual, my mind is completely <laughs> blown, and uh, and that's a great thing. I I really appreciate your uh, your knowledge, your skill set, your your willingness to uh, work a dinosaur through the thinking process. Um, and uh, again, this, I'm going to uh, give you a, a text and a call after, but I want to talk again about uh, us getting together with Dr. Tommy, because that, the mm -hmm. whole thing that you're talking about is, is in his wheelhouse as well. And uh, I think there's application to everything. Like you said, I just... For me, I'm selfishly thinking, how can I apply it, you know, to to both myself and and my clients, obviously, and uh, yeah. I want to want to utilize that because it it completely makes sense as as did 
our first talk, <laughs> which is still still mind blowing. <laughs> so, um, hey, I, I appreciate you you spending time in the middle of your Sunday. I know it's a it's usually a, a family day and a slow day and a relaxation day. So, I appreciate your time as usual. Good seeing you. you look good. You look look like you're ready to go go kill it. Um, best of luck in this uh, current course that you're on with your. You're both selling the cars and doing the back office work. Or are you just going to shift to back office now? Nope. Now it's uh, now it's just back office. So yeah. fi- completely doing the finances, you know, sending the deals into the bank, all that good stuff. Um, time to learn something new. So it's yeah. always it's always good to to be challenged again. So the mover and the shaker and control the money. That's the where where to be, right? Ab- absolutely. But yeah, <laughs> try, I I appreciate you having me on. It's uh, like I said, it, it's kind of cool to be full circle first first guest right. and, and back on and years. see how our conver- conversation has changed and maybe we'll do it again yeah we'll do a third one at some point and, and see where absolutely. it takes us absolutely uh again everybody this is raise the bar i'm troy haynes the of uh, sky hind fly jump camps and my guest has been aaron washa uh aaron you can get him at at wax on wax off right it's it's washa on say it it's, again <laughs> What, wash wash on wash off w-a-s-c-h on w-a-s-c-h off yeah and that's on on instagram you do some stuff on youtube as well is that right uh mostly instagram that's the best place to connect with me follow yeah. what i'm doing um that's the platform that i utilize the most awesome yeah i i, I want to talk to you a little bit too about the the program writing stuff maybe ways to be not not necessarily what goes into it, but how to get that information out. I've been doing a lot of work on, um, you know, Google Sheets and, uh, you know, from writing it, but then I want the visuals. So Barb and I are trying to come up with a way maybe where I can, you know, film everything, have a visual library, because like you said, uh, there's so little time where I'm actually with someone in the weight room where I want to, mm-hmm. be able to you know, train them. So that I'd be interested in, in hearing about that. But again, uh, that's Aaron Washa. If you see him on his feed, you'll see him doing some incredible things, 70, 71, 72 inch box jump. And, uh, you know, I, I was telling everybody in the, the pregame before you showed up that, uh, this is a white guy jumping 71 inches. White men can jump, I guess. Yeah, exactly. All right, Aaron. Hey, it's uh, always a pleasure. Uh, best of luck and we'll definitely stay in touch. I uh, want to hear everything as it's happening, of course, keeping up with Aaron Washa. Thanks for your time, man. I appreciate it, Troy. Have a great day, man. All right. You too. Bye. All right. Bye. So that was Aaron Washa. And uh, we spent a, an hour and a half easily like we always do. It's just like the first time. So um until next time, this is uh, Troy Haynes from uh, Raise the Bar of Sky High and Fly Jump Camps saying have a good rest of your Sunday, even though when you listen to this, it probably won't be Sunday. And we'll talk to you again real soon.